When Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah, when he arrived on the scene, he picked up right where John the Baptist left off and he started saying wherever he went, time's up, the kingdom's here, change your life and believe the good news. And there was an excitement like you saw on this stage because his words were electrifying. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom, there was the question in everyone's mind, what is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? How is the kingdom? And Jesus, as he told his parables and he taught, people began to get pictures and glimpses of what the kingdom was like, and they wanted to be a part of it. Well, Jesus, he talked about the kingdom a lot. When he first, when his followers first started coming around him, they would gather. And one time he even sat down on a mountainside and he began to teach them about everything about the kingdom, about what it would be like to live in the kingdom, what the citizens of that kingdom would be like, what their character would be like. Today we call that, that message the Sermon on the Mount. Back then it was just how to live like a, king, a citizen of the kingdom. Well, he went on and, his, and his, his followers said, well, Jesus, teach us how to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And he said, okay, here's how you pray. And, you know, we have something now that we call the Lord's Prayer. But what he taught them was our Father who art in heaven. May your name always be revered. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil in our vices. Kingdom come. He taught his followers to pray for that. And then everywhere he went, he, he told these stories, these parables, uh, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning that would describe the kingdom. And everywhere he went, he would, he would share these stories and people would try to get their minds and, and into these and understand them. But I want you to know that he did more than just describe the kingdom to people. He actually went after people to bring them into the kingdom, like Zacchaeus, like Levi, the, the tax collector who later became one of the 12 apostles, like the Samaritan woman at the well. Like the centurion, centurion that brought his, his uh, uh, talked about his uh, sick servant. Jesus went after these people to bring them into the kingdom. And this last little conversation with Nicodemus, we touched on it some last week. But this, this idea that we have to be born again, become like little children to enter the kingdom. Jesus not only talked about the kingdom, but he brought the kingdom near. He brought the kingdom to us. He came into our world so that we could enter his. You see, when we talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I think most of us know, okay, death, that has to do with crucifixion. Yes, that substitution thing that he did on the cross. And resurrection, yes, he rose from the dead and conquered death, and that means he could also conquer sin, and that changes everything. But when we talk about the life of Jesus, we just kind of skip over that. And, and it's kind of like we, we don't realize, well, last week we talked some about the life of Jesus, the incarnation, the mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully man. It's a big mystery that is, it's hard to take in, but it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. 
And it makes him uniquely qualified to do all that he did with the death and the resurrection. But I want you to know, it's not just his life just isn't about the incarnation. His life is about the kingdom. He brought the kingdom to us. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom. So what's all this kingdom stuff about? Why is Jesus talking about it so much? Why is he so concerned about us entering the kingdom? I mean, how is this relating, relating to putting your trust in Jesus? I mean, when someone shared the Roman road with me, they didn't tell me about the kingdom of God. So what, what, is, what does this have to do? How is it related to his name? You remember what his name means? Jesus? The Lord saves. Yeah. What does, it have, what does the kingdom have to do with his name and his mission? What he came here to do? It is related, folks. It is. And so we're going to look at some of the, the parables he told describing the kingdom and figure, out, figure this out, how the kingdom is related to our putting trust in him, how it's related to life, eternal life. So one parable that we open up here today in, in the production is the parable, parable of, the, of the great banquet, which is real similar to uh, another parable of the wedding banquets. But uh, it's, it's found in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the banquet feast, of course, represents the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the host invites many people, many people to come. And when the party's ready to start, he sends a servant out to say, hey, food's on the table, come on in. We're going to get this party started. And uh, he sends the servant out. But comes, he comes back with bad news. Sorry, master. Everybody's got excuses why they can't come. They're all begging off. And, and, the, and the master, the, the host of the banquet, he sends out his servant again. He sends him out two more times. The first time he sends him out into the city, into every nook and cranny. He says, I want you to invite the people who normally aren't invited to parties. I want you to invite the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled. Get them in here. And, and, and then they comes back. And tells them, I've done all you said. See, they're here. And the master isn't pleased. He says, my house is still not full. Okay, go out again. And the second time, he sends them not into the city, not into the town, but he sends them out into the country lanes and byways. I want you to go to, to the ends of, 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 of the known land here, and I want you to bring people into this party. The servant does and brings them in. And there's two things that the host is determined about in this parable. One, he is determined to have his house full. And two, he's determined that those who reject his invitation don't ever get a taste of this wedding banquet. Now, at the end of that parable, that can either comfort you or that can scare the dickens out of you. And it's like, Jesus told that story? He did. He did. See, our God, he's not tame. He's the lion of Judah. He's wild. He can do whatever he wants. He's not a little pet on the leash doing what you command and what you want him to do. This is God. He's got a party. He's inviting you to it. He wants you to be a part. Well, it was some pretty sorry excuses these people made. They, they, they just didn't have time they just didn't have room for the, or for the effort to get themselves ready for this party or to even attend it. 
And in a similar similar parable of the wedding banquet, there are those who receive the invitation and, and they come and they're inside the party. And then there's those who rejected the invitation or didn't come prepared to the party and and they're thrown outside. And it says that the doors are shut and and outside there's darkness and weeping. And and I I just go, could it really be true that people would reject the invitation to the kingdom of God? People would really reject the invitation to heaven? How could that be? I mean, as a communicator, I, I, I think to myself, oh, I know, I just didn't explain it well enough to you because if, if you really heard me, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm coming. This is it. I'm not going to miss out on this. And so my, my thought is, you didn't understand it. So let me explain it to you again. But there's a deep sadness, deep sadness to my heart when I realize it doesn't matter if I explain it again a, a third time or a fourth time. There's some people who actually say no to the kingdom of God. Say no to the kingdom of heaven. And, and I, I scratch my head, and, and it's like the C.S. Lewis fantasy, uh, the great divorce. There, there's some people on the edge of, of entering hell, and they uh, get a, a, a tour bus guide into heaven, and they get to take a little tour, and, and when they're there, they, all, they look at heaven, they just go, oh, why would I want this? Ooh, no. Oh, and these people are here? Oh, get me back. Get me out of here. I don't want to be here. And they would rather choose hell. That's what C.S. Lewis expresses in his, the book, great, The Great Divorce. And it's, you know, and it's hard for me to believe that people would actually choose like that and, and, and that people would actually reject an invitation to the kingdom of heaven. But, but let me... Let me maybe explain to you maybe how someone could kind of move towards that hardened mindset to actually say no to God. And, and it comes in some of these parables about the kingdom. Let, let, me, let me tell you just a little more what Jesus said. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Hmm. It's like a mustard seed. Mustard seed it is just like the pinpoint of a little sharpened pencil on a paper and you go pink. I mean, it's so tiny. If you had some mustard seeds in your hand, you just go like that. They just fly everywhere. They are so tiny. It's like uh, little pieces of pepper, uh, ground pepper in your hand. And, and it's the tiniest of seeds. Yet, Jesus said, when you plant it in your garden, it grows into one of the largest of trees or bushes and it provides shade. It takes up so much space that even uh, birds come and make their nest and, and set the little bird here, little bird there, little bird there. And it holds things. It, it contains things. It, it, it shades things. It takes up space. And then Jesus goes on. He says, the kingdom of God is like yeast, a little bit of yeast that a woman works into some flour. And she, it, she works it in through there so that it works through the whole batch of dough. Kingdom of God. Seems like something small, but it ends up touching every part of the dough and causing it to expand and take up more space. When Jesus is asked about the kingdom of God and and when it will come, Jesus doesn't give an answer to that. He gives an answer, but it's not answer of when. Instead, he, he gives the answer of where. And he says to them, the kingdom of God does not come visibly, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And when I heard that first time as a kid, 
First time as a Christ follower, I was like, what? I, mean, I don't get it. What, what is that about? King of God within you. That sounds like real new agey or something. What, what's up with that? Just couldn't follow. Well, okay, for a kingdom to be a kingdom, help me out here. Uh, what, what, is a king, what is a kingdom got to have to be a kingdom? I mean, a, a king, yes! Ding, 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 you win. Uh, you got to have a king to have a kingdom. Well, we got that. We got Jesus. He's a king. And, and then there's something else you got to have in a kingdom besides a king. You got to have the people. You got to have the subjects of, of the king. Yeah. And so you got those two things. And then you got to have the blessing and rule of the king. I mean, you really got to have people that say, yes, you are our king. And the king's got to say, yes, you are my people. Let's be a kingdom. That's got to be, those are the three things that got to happen to have a kingdom. So where is God's kingdom? As wherever Jesus is king, is he king of your life? Is he king of your heart? Do you live under his rule and blessing? If so, the kingdom of God is within you. Wow. That's cool. You understand maybe just a little bit of what these people are getting excited about? The kingdom. I get to be a part of it. Well, there's a little more. Maybe help you understand this. And, 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 and here's a little bit of the warning with this whole kingdom of God within you. The kingdom takes up space, folks. It takes up space. It seems like, a such, like such a small thing, like, like a little seed of truth that you believe, but it's going to grow into the largest tree in the garden, crowding out other plants, making space for good things, ordering things. They sit in the little branches of this tree of faith in your life. The kingdom within you seems like such a small portion of your life, like a small portion of yeast. But I must warn you that it's going to work itself into every area of your life. It's going to touch every part of your life. There's no part that you can say, oops, sorry, can't, kingdom, kingdom can't come here. No, no trespassing. This, this part of my life, kingdom not allowed. Sorry. Kingdom is like yeast. It works itself into a whole batch of dough. It touches everything and it starts moving and expanding and taking up space. The kingdom of God may seem like a small party, a small event to you now, but I got to warn you that your work life, your possessions, even your family life will have to be crowded out because this party is going to be a full house. Crowded out because this party takes up space in your life. When you hear Jesus' words today, repent, change your life. Time's up. The kingdom is here. Believe the good news. How do you think that you're supposed to respond to that today in the 21st century? Can I do a little translation for you? A little translation of what I think Jesus might say to us today and what I think he was trying to say to his culture then and I think what he's trying to say to the culture today. Here's what I think he'd be saying to us to people in Highland and people in Asheville. He'd say, change and make room for the kingdom in your life. Push aside the lesser things and make room for the greater thing. Make room for the kingdom of God. It takes up space. It's like a growing seed. The kingdom of God is like yeast expands. The kingdom of God is like a treasure 
that you find in somebody else's yard. You cover it up and you don't tell them. And you go and you try to sell everything you got, your car, your house, your stocks, your bonds, your retirement, your IRA, you cash it in because you know this treasure buried in your neighbor's yard is worth more than anything and your neighbor doesn't want to sell. So you got to pay more than the worth the price of their property, but it's worth it. You're going to give up everything to get that treasure. That is what the kingdom of God is like. It is greater than anything you own or have or possess in your life. It's greater. Jesus, if Jesus is your king, the kingdom is within you and it's going to take up space. Make room for the kingdom. Or are you going to beg off with your excuses? And let the lesser things push aside the kingdom. You know, it's, it's going to change your life, the kingdom of God. It's going to change your life. It will. Your other pursuits, your high school athletic career, your, your academic career, your career building, your home building, your legacy building, your network building will all have to be diminished and will have to be displaced to make room for your pursuit of the kingdom. Because what did Jesus say? He said, seek first the kingdom. As soon as he says that, we get scared. And we go, Jesus, these other things, I kind of need some of those other things. You know what Jesus told people in that Sermon on the Mount? He's talking about being citizens of the kingdom. He said, don't worry about those other things. I mean, the pagans, the heathens, the people don't know anything about God. They chase after all those things. But you, you chase after the kingdom. And all those other things, I'll add to you as well. Don't worry. I know what you need. And your father does as well. Don't be afraid, little children. Seek first the kingdom. Seek the greater thing. Push aside the lesser things. But maybe, maybe these words are wasted on those who are insiders with Jesus or think they're insiders with Jesus. Maybe, maybe these are words that just need to be spoken to outsiders. And if so, you can just repeat them to someone else. But maybe they're for some people here today. But maybe I should just speak Jesus' words to the outsiders, those who felt like they weren't included, those who felt like they weren't the type of people God would want in his kingdom. Maybe those who always felt like they're a little bit lost. Oh, wait a minute. Hasn't that been every one of us once upon a time? Well, maybe if you remember that, this is for you too. Jesus was always trying to help outsiders become insiders. And he told some stories about how he wanted outsiders in his kingdom. One of those stories is, is the one that you saw up here today. It's, it's often called the prodigal son, but really it should be called the prodigal father. Prodigal just means extravagant. And if anybody was extravagant in the story, it was the father. I mean, the son comes and says, Dad, I want the inheritance before you're dead. I mean, that's ridiculous. Most fathers would say, you're an idiot, son. Go sit over there in the corner. I'm not going to listen to you. But this father says, oh, okay. 
All right, that's not exactly how I was thinking how this would work out, but here's your half of the inheritance. I mean, what father would do that? A father who wants to maintain relationship with his son and will do anything to keep that relational door open. That's the kind of father who would do that, an extravagant father. And so this father keeps the door open, but this young son, he distances himself. He goes off to a far-off place, cashes all the money, all the estate, and he spends money, squanders it, and he blows it. He lives irresponsibly. And really what he's done is a shame to his father, a shame to his community. In a Jewish community, that, a son like that would be disowned. They would be no longer recognized. They would be outcast, not just from that family. They would be outcast from that community. That's what this son has done. And he ends up in the depths, ends up in a, on a pig farm, the worst place for a Jewish boy. And, uh, and he, he's there with the pigs and realizing that he's been a pig. They has a lot of similarities. And in this realization, which is a realization that every person who comes into the kingdom has to have. It's, it's a, a moment of spiritual poverty. It's a moment of going, I just don't have it. I don't have what it takes. I'm broken. I'm ruined. At this moment, there's a realization that happens when the son is, is looking at these pigs and going, man, this, this really stinks. And, and he realizes, man, I had it so much better at home. You know, at home, I can have as much as I want to eat. I mean, even the servants there are eating. Now, I know I can't, I can't go back as a son. I blew that. I mean, I'm, I'm a stench in that community. I, I, okay, if I just, maybe if I go back as a servant and, and I, I just say, I'm no longer worthy to be your son and, I, and I'll work for you, Dad. Would you take me back? So that's his plan. He's going to go humble himself before his father. And on his way back, father sees him in the distance. And again, extravagant father. I mean, I, you know, I always imagine these guys in their robes back in the day. Old man hiking up his robes, running down the road. Doesn't look very dignified or respectful. He didn't care. This is the extravagant father. Welcomes his son, embraces him. Kisses him. Jesus said that. He kissed him. Son starts into his speech, falls at his feet. You know, the son starts into it, and, and, and the, it's almost like the father interrupts him. So, okay, enough of that. Hey, servants, bring, bring out the ring. Bring out the robe. Bring sandals for his feet. Ring was a symbol of sonship. Put it on his finger. Put it on his hand. This one's a son of mine again. He's back in the family. He's restored. Give him the robe. Also, maybe a spiritual parallel, a robe of righteousness that we wear in Christ. But the son is brought back. And there's a party. There's a celebration. This son that was dead is now alive. Well, this is what Father, God the Father wants to do. He wants to bring in the outsiders. But we find out at the end that the older son isn't too happy about this. And, and, and for good reason. I mean, he, he comes back, finds out the son is back, and, you know, kind of the, and son, all this, all that you can see, everywhere the light touches, 
this will all be yours. That's not true anymore. It's now going to be you and your brothers. It's going to be divided again. Yeah, last time we divided, he squandered it all. That's not fair. It's not fair. He deserves to be punished. You welcome him with a party? And we find out that this son has also been distanced from the father, just like the younger son. And as he expresses his anger to his father, which he doesn't even call him father, he says, you, doesn't have as much respect as the younger son, but you, I've been slaving for you all my life and you never threw me apart. Really, slaving? Is that really the, the word that describes the relationship? I, I thought it was father and son. But the son sees it as this slavish kind of thing. And we find out in the end that the older son and the younger son, all they really wanted was their dad's stuff. They didn't really want their dad. Didn't really want relationship with him. And, and again, the extravagant father, as a host of a Middle Eastern party, you don't leave the party. You stay with the party. You stay with your guests. Your guests are like family. So, but he leaves the party, walks outside of the house where the son is pouting. And he tries and pleads with him, tried to come in. And the story ends there. We don't know if the son comes into the party. I mean, the party represents heaven, the kingdom of God. And the son is still standing outside, and the father is saying, come on in, please. Our extravagant father, trying to help the outsiders and the insiders. And we all need his help. We all need his mercy. You see, Father God wants to find the lost, the outsiders, and bring them into friendship with himself. The kingdom is about coming into friendship with the Father. You see, in Middle Eastern culture, a party, and maybe this is the part that we don't quite understand, when you have a party or you have a dinner party or a a luncheon or a feast and you invite someone to it, you are inviting them to friendship. That's what was the big deal about Zacchaeus. Hey, I'm coming to your house. Let's have dinner together. That was an invitation to friendship, saying, Zacchaeus, I'm going to be your friend. And that's what blew the socks off everybody. And that's what he says to us. Saying, change your life, come to the kingdom. I'm inviting you into friendship. The kingdom is about coming into friendship with the Father, and it is a saving friendship because outside is outside of the kingdom where it's only darkness and weeping. There will be a day when God will shut the doors. Say, I sent out my invitations. I sent people out twice to find you and round you up. The party's starting. We're shutting the doors. It's a saving friendship. So, you know, when you hear me say the words at the beginning of of Sunday morning, I say, hey, our mission is changing life as we know it through love, loyalty, and friendship of Jesus Christ. I hope you're not in your head just going, wow, that's a really mamsy-pamsy kind of mission statement. What's that about? Friendship with Jesus? Yeah. I'm not talking about something mamsy-pamsy. I'm talking about a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the friendship that God the Father invites us into, into his kingdom, and says, come feast with me. And that once we're invited, once we're a part of the kingdom, the kingdom is within you, we are then inaugurated, we're we're knighted, we're dubbed, we're said, you're you're the servants, go out and, and share the invitation with others. 
Invite them in. Bring them in to this party. And we get to be his ambassadors, extending the friendship of God. That's what I mean, friendship. Do you value friendship with the Father or are you blowing it off? Do you see being under his blessing and his rule is valuable, a great thing, greater than everything else you might try, greater than everything else that might try to crowd it out? Will you make room for the kingdom? Or are things within you so crowded that there's no room for relationship with the Father? That's it, folks. That's the word for today. And, and I just want to say that this, it's, we're going to respond to the word of God, however he wants us to respond. And we, all, we, we do this where we worship at the end of our gatherings. And, and worship is the response to the word of God. That's why we do it. And, and, but it's also a time for us individually to, res- to respond, not just corporately in expressing our faith with a song. So if, if there's something that needs to happen between you and God, there, there's some sort of conversation that needs to go on, you need to have right now, this is the time to do it when we, when we do this, this singing, this worship time. And, it, and, and it's time where you can, you can talk to God silently in your head. He hears your prayers that way. That's great. And so if you want to do business that way, great. But maybe some of you are like, man, I just need to do someone, something outwardly. You know, there's, there's all this stuff going on in the inside, and I just want to show it on the outside. So I need, I need, to, come, I need to kneel down. I need to, I need to say something to somebody. I need someone to pray with. If that's the case, then you can come up here. If you come around this little, these little stairs on either side, I'll just know that means it's you and God. You just want to talk, and I, and I won't interrupt. Neither will any of our leaders or jail leaders. They won't interrupt. And just know you, it's just you and God having time, all right? And you just need to do something outwardly to express that. But if you are somebody who's like, I, I, need, I need to hear a human voice. I, I need to talk. I, I need to pray. Then over farther in front of these monster speakers there and there, you can, we'll, we'll be there. I'll be there. Um, Michelle, Vicky are over there. Uh, Jazz is somewhere around here. So um, some of our other gel leaders, come on up. And so let's stand together and let's respond to the Word of God.